How many of you have gotten to see Pastor Andrew's doctrinal statement? This is a fantastic document. He was drilled on it yesterday by men who have spent many years in ministry, who have spent many years studying God's Word. And all this is, is a reflection of what God's Word says. And it's something that this church should be proud of, that Andrew has worked through this, has been able to defend it, and it's in line with God's Word. As I was thinking through, though, what do we talk about today? Yesterday, for those of you that got to sit in and listen, it was a fantastic time of talking about knowledge. We got to see what God's Word said, and some of us got questions answered that we were wondering, I wonder what that works like, and people raised their hand and said, so how does this work? And Andrew would give an answer, and he's like, oh, that's how that worked. Thank you, I've been wondering about that. Personally, as I have been studying through God's Word, oh, and I got my copy autographed because it's so cool. I'm looking forward to having this, and I um, think they'll let me through airport security with it. But the more we learn, there's a problem. You see, 1 Corinthians, which is what I've been studying a lot of lately, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, that knowledge puffs up, makes you proud. And you say, I know that. Well, see, that's the problem. We all know these things, and yet it's the fact that we know these things, and the more you know, the more you will struggle with this, knowledge puffs up. I've been working through 1 Corinthians, and it's been a fantastic study personally for me as I am learning. An old adage that I was told is, preach nothing old at your church and preach nothing new at another church. My goal today is to composite things that I have been studying into a different form to look at this concept of how does knowledge help us and what should we watch out for and what's the solution to that because it's not that knowledge is bad there's a stripe of christianity that says well we just won't study the bible much because if knowledge is bad we just you know we'll have it out decoratively but if we ever have to use it we're going to have to blow off the top layer of dust outside if you have allergies you know you know what i'm talking about it's something that we're tempted to do and it's the wrong approach. Knowledge is good. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, and when it says knowledge puffs up, that's not Paul's only assessment of knowledge. But he's saying that it's not the whole picture. Back home in Florida, we have the wonderful privilege of going without frost, sometimes years at a time. My wife and I were looking at planting some things in our garden, and we always laugh when it says plant after Dan... Um, after the chance of frost has gone because that may you know we might have had 12 months since danger of frost but stuff started sprouting very quickly and i immediately wanted to move the plant to a new pot because it was in a small pot as i was getting it started and i told her we got to do this quickly because last time i killed these zucchini because they ran out of pot space you know sometimes with plants it takes more than one thing if you have wonderful soil but you don't have water, 
the plants aren't going to do well. If you have wonderful soil and water but no sunlight, the plants aren't going to do well. Knowledge is an important part, but it's not the only thing we need as a church, as individual Christians. No matter which church we're a part of, knowledge is important, but it's not the only thing. Now, some of you may be saying, so what's the other thing? And some of you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 8, and you say, I think I know. You see, 1 Corinthians 8, and my, my um, sermon is based on 1 Corinthians 8, 1, C. That means there's multiple parts to the verse, and we're looking at the very last part. It says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, once again, talk about knowledge. I know you know this, but I struggle with this. When I hear the word charity, I get all distracted with all the good finds I found at Goodwill, because I love those 501c3 charities that have things that you can give them, and then you can get them at a really good price, Today in my message, most of the time when I see the word charity, I'm going to convert it to the word love because that's the concept that we use when we're talking about it. We're not talking about a charity that if you have money that bumps you into the next tax bracket, you'll give it to them at the end of the year. We're talking about something that should affect our lives every day. Knowledge puffs up. When you have knowledge, it's good, but it can lead to being puffed up. But love edifies. Once again, edifies is um, a word that we use in church, but it makes better symmetry if we say knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's the goal of the love that we should be looking at, building up others. My first point of my message today is knowledge is necessary for Christian growth. Did you know that you can't grow as a Christian without knowledge? Well, now you do, and hopefully that helps you. It's not enough for you to have God's Word on your bookshelf, on your iPhone, somewhere in your house or car, on your pew next to you. God's Word has a very specific place that it commands us to keep His Word, and it's not in paper form. Did you know that when the printing press first came out, churches were terrified it would be the end of the church? Say, how can that be? All of us have printed Bibles. I'm not aware of anybody that has a manuscript where you copied it out because it's so much easier to have access to God's Word. And that can be a danger. You see, the churches knew that if we had easy access to God's Word, we would be tempted not to memorize it. When you look at what God's Word says to do with His Word, it says we should have it in our mind. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your bookshelf. No. By the installing of an app on your phone. You know, phones have some incredible capabilities. While you are driving to work, if you have a smartphone, you can have God's Word read to you over your, fo- over your radio, probably. But that's not what God says to do. Be not conformed to the world. Don't take on the form of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants His Word in here. 
You know, another interesting thing from this verse is it says you can be like the world without changing your mind. But you can't be transformed to be Christ-like without changing your mind. It takes thinking about God's word. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. You may say, what in the world does that mean? Girding up your loins. Now, if you've been in this church long enough, I know you know what this means. So I'm just going to remind you. It is talking about how to prepare if you're wearing a long, flowing garment to be able to do hard work. If you've ever tried to do something with a long garment on, you know it's difficult and it's easier to prepare ahead of time. When I was in seminary, I pulled into church and I, I was wearing a suit. I wasn't wearing a long flowing garment. But as soon as I got to church, I had car trouble. And I had two choices. I could immediately start working on my car or I could take off the um, jacket. I could take off the white shirt and work in my t-shirt so that I could actually get into the car engine to fix the problem. It's a lot easier to fix the problem if you prepare ahead of time, because once you get the grease on your hands, it's really hard. Once you get into life situations, you really wish that you had prepared ahead of time, girding up the loins of your mind. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I loved studying this passage out. It took me a while when I was talking with people saying, so what does this mean? Peter was writing to Christians and yet he's warning them that the devil could devour them. That is his desire. Doctrinally, because of my soteriology, my study of what salvation is, I know that you can't lose your salvation if you have it because that is a gift from God and God is protecting you. But what does it mean to be devoured then? Satan wants to make you worthless in your fight for Christ. That is his end. He knows he can't take away your salvation, but he wants to make you have no effect. Peter warns us that the way to keep the devil from making us of no effect is to prepare, be sober, be vigilant, be alert. It takes work ahead of time, and it's mental. Uh, Andrew yesterday mentioned, um, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When we talk about sober, we frequently think about, I've been sober for five years, you know, if I'm part of an um, addiction recovery program at my church, and that would be something that we would think of, well, you got to be sober, meaning you just can't drink alcohol. That's not what it's talking about here. It is saying what you need to do with the Holy Spirit's help. You need to be alert. The stakes are high. Satan wants to destroy you, but if you prepare your mind with God's word, now, when we prepare our mind with God's word, that's synonymous with knowledge, okay? You are getting the information in. Well, it, part of it is knowledge. Romans 5.8 says, For they that are after the flesh 
do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, we don't use that word as a verb very much right now. We might talk archaically about mind your manners, but the point is, think about them. And look at what this verse says. Romans 8, 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. Knowledge is important. What you think about is very important. The fact that Andrew has spent this long thinking about God's Word is important. For one thing, it shows evidence of salvation. It would be a good thing for each one of you to work through different doctrinal topics. Write out what you think about something. A couple years ago, I had someone ask me, will you go to the movies with me? Your pastor has an opinion on that, I've got a feeling. But how do you find the opinion about that? You look at God's word. And I have probably a two-paragraph statement of this is what I think about this topic. It's helpful. If you're thinking according to the flesh, you say, oh, why not? Why can't I go do this or this or this or this? But those that are thinking in the spirit are minding spiritual things, and that guides what we do. The knowledge is important. God expects for us to compare spiritual things with spiritual. 2 Corinthians 2, this is a passage that kind of is hard to understand but 2 Corinthians 2.13 says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. One of the evidences of spiritual growth in your life and of having the Holy Spirit in your life is that you will be comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, if we value God's word, which we all should, our tendency will be to say, well, it's in here somewhere. The problem is, it shouldn't be in here, it should be in here. When it's in here, I'm trying to get this through repetition, we need God's word up here. When it's in here, throughout the day we're going to be thinking, so how does this verse apply to this verse? And it's a fascinating thing when you start to compare the different things to study them out. You start to understand deeper things from Scripture when you understand how they work together. One recently that I was challenged with is Peter made bad decisions with how he fellowshiped with Jews and Gentiles, just as an example. Paul had to publicly call him out on it and say that's wrong. And yet, when you look at 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that when he was around the Gentiles, he does one thing, and when he was around the Jews, he does another thing. Very similar to what he had to call Peter out on, but his motives were entirely different. When you study that out, you learn more about what our motives should be when we interact with people. Because it's not just what we're doing, it's what we're thinking about and why we're doing what we're doing. 2 Corinthians 2 also tells us that the Holy Spirit illumines God's Word. Now, if you've ever tried to read your Bible in the dark, you know that that word illumine isn't saying that there's going to be a heavenly light that appears anytime the Bible is opened. Rather, it's saying that what you have up here as a saved individual, the Holy Spirit will help you to understand. My wife and I are trying to get our daughter at nine months old to start thinking about Scripture. We, in our car, 
have 175 short scripture songs that are just 100% KJV scripture that have been set to music. And they go through and through and through our car. And my wife and I are starting to hum and whistle them as we're going around places. And we're hoping that our daughter gets to understand them. But all she can do right now is memorize them. She can't truly understand them without the Holy Spirit's help. It takes the Holy Spirit to illumine God's word. And we're expected as saved individuals to be able to do that. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a major difference between working out your own salvation and working for your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we are to work for our salvation. God's gift is salvation. But we're commanded to work out our salvation, kind of like you would a gold mine. I've never personally struck it rich. I've never personally looked for gold, except when I've lost my ring, in which case it was an entirely different process. But when you're looking for gold in the hills, I am told you go down by the river and you dig, get a little bit in a pan, and you look to see what's in there. And if you get anything, you mark it down and you go just a little bit away, just a couple feet, and you do it again. And you look to see if there's anything in there. Because you don't care about this basic stuff. You probably don't even keep the couple pieces of um, flecks of gold that you're finding. But what you're doing is you keep working down and up until you see there's no more gold on either side. Then you go up a couple feet from the bank. And you do the same thing until you create an inverted V and you find the place where the gold is. Now you could guess on the hill and say, I think it's here. I think it's here. But you're not going to find anything because... You just guessed. Our salvation is something that we universally share with others that have been saved. But the way that God expects us to live is different because I have a different job than what you do. I live in a different house than you do. My route to work is different. And by the time you put all those things together, even your pastor can't tell you this is how you're supposed to live every minute of your life. You have to work to understand what God wants for you to do. You're supposed to work out your salvation. That requires knowledge. That requires understanding what God's word is. Everything that I've been pointing to so far is to show you that knowledge is important. Okay, my intent is not to say knowledge puffs up but love builds up, so therefore the knowledge is not important. We're looking through how knowledge is very important. I find it interesting in 1 Corinthians 8, 1b, Paul says, we know that we all have knowledge. He says that the people in Corinth had knowledge. And yet, when you look at 1 Corinthians 3, he calls them babes in Christ. Shouldn't they be growing if they had knowledge? Paul spent a year and a half talking with the people in Corinth. That's a long time. And then he left them with all that knowledge for five years. And at the end of those five years, he wrote 1 Corinthians and said, you should be growing, but you're still babes in Christ. The problem wasn't the knowledge. The problem was they weren't doing what they should with that knowledge. That's why Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That knowledge and love combination is very important. My po second point is, 
surprise, love is necessary for Christian growth. My first point was knowledge is important for Christian growth. My second point is love is important for Christian growth. You know, you can only build someone up in love if you have knowledge. The concept that Paul has is building a building. You can't build the building if you don't build it, but you also can't build the building if you try and you don't know how. I couldn't build a building because I don't know how. The knowledge is important with the love. Our society wants love. Our last president tweeted out, love is love, which depending on his definition of love is either very good or very bad. But we are in a society that demands love but denies the knowledge. They're very important to put together. So that said, our love can never be viewed as a tacit endorsement of sin tacit being silent. We say, well, I'm just going to love this person. God will change them, and I don't have to ever address anything. No, the passage says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If the way that we're loving people isn't building them up, we're doing it wrong. While we're warned that love does not equal Christian growth in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, you should be embarrassed about the way that you're loving these people in this church. There's a serious problem pastor can tell you what that problem was, but they were loving the wrong way. They were loving without knowledge. They were proud because they were loving. Interesting. So knowledge puffs up and love can puff up, apparently. It's when you have the knowledge and you love that you can build up. 1 Corinthians 13 has some wonderful information about love. The entire passage is going to talk about charity. Remember, it's not talking about the 501c3 that you donate money to. It's talking about the way that we interact with others. But did you know that First Corinthians, um, Matthew 5.44, God commands us to love our enemies? I was talking with a man this past year. We were going through the Bible, slowly doing a Bible study, and I showed him that passage, and he said, I will never do that. And I laughed and said, well, thank you for being honest, but if God's word says it, what is best? Because remember, God's word is the one that says to love your enemies. And he said, I will never do that. We need to be careful as we gain knowledge of God's word that we're still willing to show love even though we have knowledge. 1 John 4 tells us how we can show love. It's so hard. But 1 John 4 tells us, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11 goes on and says, because of God's love for us, we can love others. There's a reward when we love others. Matthew 5 doesn't go into detail, but Christ says, is there a reward for loving other people when it's easy to love them? And the answer is no. There's, there's no reward when you love people that are lovable. But there is reward, apparently, when you love those when it's hard. John 13, 35 tells us that there is a testimony that we can have for Christ. That's one of the rewards. Jesus says, 
men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. Yes, that means even the people that you're sitting on the other side of the church from because you don't like them. Made me laugh when I was thinking about sitting on the opposite side. Notice my family's up here and in the back. That is not indicative of how we get along. But sometimes that happens where people are on opposite sides just where they don't have to talk. Jesus says you can know who are my disciples by their love of each other. How convicting. What's another reward? 1 Corinthians, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, back where we were at the beginning. Love builds up. Now that can be a reward as you are loving on others, as you are seeing them built up. People don't care what you know until you, they know that you care. Let me say it again, and this time try and say it correctly. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. You should have knowledge, but you can't build someone up until you show love to them. It can be tempting, not only for Pastor Andrew, but for the church to say, we just ordained somebody. We have this group of Christians that are so cool and we know so much stuff. But the question is, how should we respond with that? I've got the same temptation down in Florida to say, my brother's so smart. But we need to keep loving people. Love is important. Can't be without knowledge, but it must be with knowledge. I'm going to pray and hand it over to Pastor then. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us today as we gain knowledge together, that you would help us to remember that if we think we know something we don't know well enough, help us to have both knowledge and love in our interactions with others for you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.